Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. It's not my favorite thing in the world to just go and keep myself above other people and analyze them. I'd rather relax and just be there with them. Psychologists are not behind their shingle, just like everybody else. I'm sure that your intuitions are making impressions and judgments about everything around you. That's just a human quality. But I don't think psychologists are always judging people. So I think people can relax about that. Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. This is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource. I want to thank you for continuing to tune into the Career 100 podcast and taking time to learn about the different careers through the eyes of current professionals. Be prepared to be encouraged and inspired by professionals who really love what they do and are fortunate enough to be paid to do it. Today we'll be learning about becoming a psychologist. My guest is someone I was introduced to through Ken McCarthy of the System Seminar and met at his last event. I feel as though I've known her for years because I've been listening to interviews that she's done with her husband, (laughs) Glenn Livingston, for at least the last three years. Dr. Livingston holds a PhD in humanist psychology from the Kennedy Western University. In addition to her private coaching and consulting practice, she has done psychological research for companies like Weight Watchers, Atkins, South Beach, Kraft, as well as many others. She's also interviewed over 5,000 individuals about their emotional response to food, snacks, health, and fitness, and I hope she'll spend a little bit of time sharing about that. She has been either written or had articles about her that appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Daily News, as well as a number of other publications. Dr. Livingston, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very funny to hear your credentials. You know, it's like, who are they talking about? <laughs> I understand. I understand. You know, I'm going to just kind of jump into it and ask you, if someone was to ask you today what you do, how would you respond? Oh, my goodness. Well, it would depend on the day, of course. But I would say that I'm one of the lucky people in the world that gets to work with people in a very profound way that sometimes feels like play and sometimes feels very serious always engages my creativity and my heart as well as my mind in order to help with problem solving, whether it's with individuals or with corporations. It's the same kind of thing. It's like solving puzzles and pulling things together and figuring it out, how to make things better. And, oh, my God, it's just, it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. It's really exciting. Well, I think one of the things that I have really enjoyed about doing this series is the fact that almost, I think every guest I've ever had has said that uh, what they do is a lot of fun. And I think that that's one of the joys and something that I really aspire that our listeners find careers that light them up and inspire them and that they consider fun. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing, Felicia, that you have done such a great job of finding people who are so passionate about their work because not everybody is, and that's your gift, that you have actually found those kinds of people. So bravo to you. 
Well, you know, first and foremost, the types of people who would respond and say yes are going to be, in general, people who really love what they do. If they don't love what they do, then they tend to probably not even respond. So I think that that's one of the things why it's been, I won't say so easy, but it's been why I've been able to find the types and caliber of guests that I find is because they're the types of people who love what they do and love sharing what they do with the world. Well, thank you. So you don't have what I consider the typical practice for a psychologist. When I think of a psychologist, I think of somebody who I go and I have some particular issue I'm trying to work out, and I'm sitting in their office, and I'm talking to them, and they're helping me work through whatever it is that I need some assistance with. But you don't really have that type of practice. And so I'd like you to just kind of tell me about how your practice and how what you do developed over time. Well, when I was 13 years old, I started getting interested in psychology, and I had a cousin who was studying it. He was like all of a year older than me, and he was already brilliant. Oh, my God, this guy was so brilliant. He had read, you know, all of Floyd by the time he was 14, and it was interesting. And when I got into college, I started out as pre-med and decided that I didn't really one, two, cut cadavers. I had two older brothers who were doctors, but I just didn't think I could do it. And so I was doing a lot of soul-searching of myself. You know, what did I want to be when I grew up? And I started working. I don't know if you know this or not, Felicia. I started working when I was 11. My parents had a grocery store and cook food store, and they were caterers, and they believed that it was a very European, peasant way of thinking because my parents were you know, European my mother was European, my father was first-generation American, and all the kids had to work, except for my little sister. I don't know how she got away with it, but so <laughs> I her for that. <laughs> and so we all, we went to work, and I used to study my mother because she had an incredible way of getting people to buy what she made, which was, you know, pretty impressive, and so I was always somewhat interested in marketing. But I was also very aware that I had some unhappiness in me, and I was trying to figure it out. So the combination of being a very curious person, uh, finding marketing, which is really psychology, really fascinating, and watching how my mother did it, and wanting to work on myself led me to psychology. So in my sophomore year, I became a psychology major. Got it. And there was this one class that I took called Motivational Psychology, and we had to do a project with either in human resources or marketing research. And I had never heard of marketing research, so that made it interesting. And then it was about, you know, creating surveys. And so I went into our cafeteria, I created a survey to see which was more memorable, symbols or slogans. And this might sound really obvious, but at the time to me, it was like, wow, that's so cool. But we discovered that singing slogans were the most memorable because obviously they get you from, you know, a couple of different angles, right? Right. But that was fascinating. And I have always been a workaholic. I don't know if you know that about me or not, but I tend to work seven days a week because I like it. I really, really like it. And my husband does too. So while I was going to college, I got a job doing marketing research interviews. And that was fun. 
find interesting and about all different kinds of topics and learning about this and that and the other thing. And I basically put myself through my entire education by doing marketing research. Okay. So I've had a mixed career forever. And, you know, I had a program called Initial Eating Secrets where I help people, you know, look at their the emotional things that draw them to food when they don't, you know, they're hungry for something else that they eat to get comfort or whatever. And I learned a lot, not only through my own therapy, which, you know, I worked on myself and studying psychology, but doing all this research on different kinds of weight loss programs, which was fascinating. You know, Atkins, and you mentioned some before, for Kraft, for Atkins, and, you know, there were, Craft had, I'm trying to think of the name of it, nature. At any rate, we had to figure out what it was that made people tip with regard to their eating habits. And so I guess that the exciting part for me in my career has been, you know, going to school and learning all these different techniques that you can use to help people get to know themselves. And then I was working for a large corporation to help them get to know their customers and to make products better. And although I'm not particularly a Weight Watchers fan myself, you have to admit if you study them, they have gotten better and better and better. And that's because they actually do go and talk to real people and find out what their wants and needs are. And they try to craft things, all punch intended. They try to create things, craft those, that's what I'm saying. They yes. try to create things <laughs> to meet their needs in a way that's workable and healthy. And of course it's good for them too because they make money doing it. And I have nothing against corporations making money as long as they're doing something good for society. So that was a kind of a long-winded answer to your question of how I got where I am. I imagine that in working with corporations, you're often working with individuals, but not in, as I consider it, the couch setting, you know, a small practice where you've got somebody coming in and talking to one-on-one person. You're generally working with multiple people because you're working with corporations. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's very interesting because lots of times I'm doing focus groups where I'm working in a group setting and I was introduced to psychology for my own personal psychology through you know, group psychotherapy, so I was very comfortable and familiar with groups, but also in the one-on-one setting. And so for corporations, when I'm talking to consumers or patients or caregivers or doctors, sometimes it's in a group setting, sometimes it's in a one-on-one setting. And then on the other hand, sometimes when we're doing this, I will have clients take me aside and ask me to talk to them. They need to get something off their chest. So <laughs> it's a very, very, very interesting way of working. One of the things I'm doing right now is that I help small businesses get testimonials for their products, like them, like these audio testimonials. Yes. And there's a joy in that for me because these people are all singing the praises of somebody's product or service or work. Right. And so that's a delight. You know, it's like I feel like, and being showered with good news all the time, whereas sometimes, you know, in a typical therapy practice, very often people are coming in very unhappy, uncomfortable, and you hear much more of their discord, their anger, their fear, than you hear their joy. And you do hear their joy sometimes, and that's a, a really fantastic thing when 
you know, you've seen that you've helped someone come to a moment of joy. And so we have, we've got four basic feelings, and some people think it's supposed to be in happiness all the time, but that's not the human condition. The human condition is that we have all those feelings, and, and that has to be okay, because we're, we're there. We have the purpose. So I'm not trying to have people live happily ever after, but when I do get to the days in happiness, it's really nice. <laughs> Right. So is your preference working with corporations or individuals, or does it really just kind of depend upon the project and what you're up to? So when I started the whole concept of being a psychologist, intention was to become, you know, a practicing psychologist to help patients and groups and, you know, in a small practice and all of that. But I was working in this marketing research role, and it was so much fun that my PhD, instead of taking four years, took 10. Okay. And, and while I was doing that, I developed a very large following of these 1,400 companies. And, you know, you mentioned the ones that had to do with, you know, with weight, but I've done some incredible stuff. I feel incredibly blessed that I've gotten to do this. I did a two-year project working with people with MS and seeing their struggles, hearing them tell their stories and... You know, for a while, it was just injections, and now there are, you know, little oral pills that have much less side effects. But these people, you know, deal with upheaval. They never know when the symptoms are going to come up, but they are so inspired. They were so motivating to work with because they're dealing with these crazy situations all the time, and the symptoms are not always the same. You know, one day, you know, maybe their eyes are doing something crazy, or another day, you know, they, their hand goes dead, or and it might last for two days, it might last for two hours, you know, maybe it might last for two months. But they were inspirational, they had incredible joie de vivre, they were determined to live, and they had these jokes about themselves, like they said people with MS, it just turns out if you look at them, they're better looking than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, they had their tricks for keeping themselves inspired. So, you know, I, I worked with, oh, my goodness, people with all kinds of, of issues in these, you know, one-on-ones or group situations for companies that were trying to come up with solutions for them. And that's, it's joyful. It's absolutely joyful because even though you're not going in there to give them a therapeutic experience, because of the way that I've been permitted to, you know, get information and get psychological senses of what's going on with them, I also am allowed to end it the way I want to. And so I always end it with an upbeat aspect. So they have, they feel some closure. So they'll, you know, they're able to vent their feelings and then to come back to, you know, being an adult in a functioning way, right in, that, right in that one hour or two hours that I have with them. And so they experience a little bit of a healing experience, even though I don't get to work with them, you know, for a year or two, the okay. way I would in clinical practice. Got it. So you've kind of touched upon it, but let me ask you directly, what do you derive the greatest pleasure from, from doing your job? I get the greatest pleasure from two parts of it. One of them is, helping people to access what's really bothering them, you know, to share their boo-boo. Yes. And then to help them turn it around. Because you can't turn it around for them, but you know, give them the tools so they can find their own bliss. 
I mean, that's really incredible. And, you know, you have to work with people in different ways. And, you know, the detective work of that, the need to use my intuition to figure out where I should be going at uh, what moment is fun. It's just fun. Even if you're dealing with some very painful stuff, like, you know, someone telling me, oh, my God, you know, I just found out someone was dying and, you know, and they have to access their grief or their guilt over the fact that they're not feeling grief. I mean, there's so many different things that people will go through, and some of it's not pleasant to hear. But knowing that, you know, you're like lancing a boil for them so it won't get infected. Right. It's a really wonderful thing. And I grew up with a grandmother. I grew up in an oral tradition, and my grandmother used to tell me stories at night. Okay. They didn't give me books. It was like an oral tradition of telling stories. And my mother would be ironing. We had, you know, lots of boys in the family. So while she was ironing and starching and ironing again, these 27 shirts, she would tell me stories about what it was like to be in Czechoslovakia when she was a little girl and telling me about, you know, all these incredible stories from the past. And so I think part of the joy of doing this work, I get to hear everybody's stories. You know, it's kind of like you don't realize until you really think about it, like why you do what you do and what the joy in it is. Yes. But I love hearing stories. I get to hear everybody's life story. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should say that because as you were saying that, I was just like, yeah, that is one of the reasons why I enjoy what I'm doing because I get to hear people's stories. And it's fascinating how people get to where they are in terms of their career, in terms of who introduced them to this. You know, one of the podcast guests said that she read a book. And out of a book, she decided, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about the world. Another person said that it was really very simple for them. I heard that this was a well-paying career. And once I got into it, I was really just fascinating. So there's lots of ways that people get to where they are. And hearing their stories is one of the joys of being a listener. Yes. Yeah. And I'd like to tell you, you're a very good interviewer. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was very nervous because I know that you were doing that testimonial thing and I knew that you were a very good interviewer. So let me ask you, if you had the opportunity to talk to a young Sharon and give her advice as you were just starting your career based on what you know today, what advice would you give a young Sharon? Oh my goodness. You are going to have a blast. Just go with your instincts, follow your heart, and you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to be totally amazed at how wonderful all your skills and listening to mommy all those years and listening to stories from grandma, you know, being a good listener is going to be a tremendous benefit to what you're going to be doing. And it's not clear exactly who you're going to become when you grow up, and that's okay, because you're going to be growing up for many years and just enjoy the journey. You know, I think that that's always good advice is to just enjoy the journey. There are so many times where you can kind of get off track and not enjoy what you're doing, but enjoying your journey really just makes the road seem so much smoother. So are there any common myths or misconceptions about being a psychologist? You know, there was my common myth or misconception that all psychologists just talk to patients individually in a practice. Are there other ones that you can shed some light on? Well, it's really funny. You know, Glenn and I are both psychologists. We met in a class together, actually. And people think that if you're a psychologist, that you can read their minds. And that's just not true. 
<laughs> that's good. That's very good. So I think that's, that's the biggest misconception. I'm trying to think what other ones there might be. I know that one of my concerns is that they're always analyzing me. So if I'm doing something right. that's not productive or whatever that is, they're analyzing me and going, oh, God, this girl is really messed up. That's one of my misconceptions or one of the myths that I always have about psychologists. Right. And that's not true. First of all, why would I do that? I mean, like, you know, I need to rest a little bit. Like, I'm not working right now. I'm hanging out with you. It's not my, you know, favorite thing in the world, just going, you know, keep myself above other people and analyze them. So I'd rather relax for right. most of the time and just be there with them. So when, when psychologists are not behind their shingle, they're real life people just like everybody else. And sometimes, I mean, I'm sure, just from talking to you, Felicia, that your intuitions are working and you're making impressions and judgments about everything around you. You know, that's just a human quality. But I don't think psychologists are always judging people, any more so than anybody else is. So I think people could relax about that. Okay. That's good news. So... (laughs) One of the things is, you know, I talk to people sometimes who are a dentist or a plastic surgeon or whatever, and they say that oftentimes when they're at like the dinner party, you know, they say, well, I'm a plastic surgeon. It's just like, well, what do you think about my nose? You know, and so (laughs) you've you've got people who are asking them for advice when they're in an environment where they're trying to relax. So it's good to know that if I meet a psychologist, I don't have to worry about how messed up he thinks that I am based on our conversation. So from my perspective, that's a really good thing. Um, So what's changing in your industry that new psychologists need to be aware of? You know, it's harder to get third-party payments. People aren't charging as much. If you're going to be doing a regular practice, a lot of psychologists now are not taking third-party payments. And so what they're doing is, you know, they're developing clients that can pay without insurance. You know, it's more of a two-type practice. Right. So, I don't know, 20 years ago, you could get rich being a psychologist, and, you know, with reimbursements, you can't do that anymore. Just like any other doctor, you can't do that. So, if you want to become a psychologist, you have to consider why you really want to. Uh, or you have to figure out other ways of monetizing your skills. And, you know, I fell into it. It wasn't my intention, and I fell into a career in, you know, with marketing research, and then I always have to, you know, change things up. So, like, you know, the testimonial for sale and other services that I come up with, that's just who I am. That's not any psychologist. That's a Sharon Livingston psychologist. Okay. But if money is a, a key issue, then you might want to consider how you can use those talents in some other way. You know, if you're just fascinated by people, and you can, you know, live with at tops like a hundred thousand dollar job or hundred and fifty tops after you've built it for five to ten years, then it's okay. So you have to have that kind of consideration. You know, how much is the money and how much is the giving back and how much is the fascination with people? 
Well, I was introduced through one of my previous guests to applied anthropology. That's what she was doing, is applied Mm -hmm. anthropology. And it seems to me that what you're doing here in psychology is you're taking the skills and knowledge that you've gotten from your educational career and your educational background in psychology and applying it in new and different ways. And it seems like because of that, that you have expanded the realm of the people that you have the opportunity to impact by helping corporations get their messages to the right people who could buy their products, as well as helping, you know, corporations perhaps look at the products that they're delivering and how they're delivering it so that they can deliver it to more people. So it just seems to me that what you're doing is applied psychology. Am I right or am I wrong on that? You're right. The thing that was a little bit unusual is that I started in my career before I got my PhD. Okay. So some people get their PhD and then try to apply it. I was applying what I was learning step by step by step through my own personal, you know, therapy, through my undergrad, my master's, and my PhD were all in psychology. And I was always going for extra courses, you know, extracurricular, unusual programs, and applying it to my work. So even before I had my master's, even before I had my PhD, I was applying psychological techniques to my work. Now, I was really lucky, you know. Not everyone is that lucky. You know, for example, if you wanted to look at my website, you would see some of the things that I do. So if people wanted to learn more about how you could use psychology in industry, that would be a good place to take a look. So, Sharon, what website are you referring them to? TLG, the Livingston Group, TLGonline.com. Okay. The Livingston Group Online.com. All right. TLG. Okay. TLG. TLG, which stands for the Livingston Group. All right. And I will include a link to that website for listeners who are looking for additional information about the career and what Sharon has been able to do with it in my show notes. Cool. Perfect. So let me ask you, why do you think that being a psychologist is one of the top 100 careers for the next decade? You know, you had mentioned that in a note to me, and I I didn't even realize that that was true. I know I love the work. I can only answer it personally. It's extremely gratifying and satisfying work. I think we live in a very stressful world. People need someone to talk to to get through that. But other than that, I don't know myself, except that, you know, it's an incredibly rewarding position to have. Because what you're able to do is take your education and your curiosity and marry them in new and different ways? Beautifully said. Perfect. So if my listeners wanted more information about what you're up to today, I know that they can go to tlgonline.com, but is there any other websites or another way to contact you if they were looking for additional information? You know, I'm always open to helping people. I'll give you my cell phone. They'll go to my voicemail, and I'm happy to call people back. It's 603-505-5000. 
All right. So today's guest was Dr. Livingston. I thank you very much for being on the phone with me. And I encourage my listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our Career 100 series. We're fortunate to have quality guests like Dr. Livingston who have given their time to expose our youth to another in-demand career option to consider for your future goals. Dr. Livingston, Sharon, I'd like to thank you for joining me today and sharing why you believe that being a psychologist is one of the top 100 careers. Thanks so much, Felicia. It was great. All right, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.